Hello, and welcome to Golden Grenades, a podcast about birds with stories from those who worship them, all set against the cheery and heartwarming backdrop of an environmental Armageddon. My name is Kit, and each week a special guest joins me to talk about their five favourite birds. This week, my special guest is Tiffany Francis Baker. Tiffany is a nature writer and illustrator from the South Downs in Hampshire. Her third book, Dark Skies, was published with Bloomsbury in 2019, when she was also writer-in-residence for Forestry England. She has three books out this year, one on the history of beekeeping, a concise foraging guide, and a travel guide to the UK's dark sky reserves. She also writes and illustrates essays, and sells these in her online shop with art prints, note cards, and other bits and bobs. Hello, Tiffany. Welcome to Golden Grenades. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. No, thank you so much for coming uh, onto this daft little project of mine. So, two or three years ago, I had a strange experience where I was flicking around on the telly and stumbled upon you on Channel 4 on Kirsty's Handmade Christmas. And a lot of birders have unusual decorations on their Christmas trees, various birds and things like that. And I've got a sneaking suspicion that you might be one of them. Do you have anything, when you put your tree up in December, do you have anything of that ilk? I do. Um, sadly, I didn't make it myself, so I feel it's a bit of a fraud. But um, I got from the RSPB Reserve once a knitted bullfinch. And that is my angel on top of the tree. So I kind of, he's really fat and I tie him around with a ribbon. Um, yeah, it's a stunner. <laughs> Cracking bird as well, a bullfinch. As, as you may or may not know, I'm a, a big bullfinch fan. And we've talked about that on this podcast in an earlier episode cracking birds but I've never imagined them as the angel on a tree <laughs> they do an excellent job <laughs> lovely little plumpness to them as well oh yeah great choice <laughs> the book that you brought out a couple of years ago dark skies I mean I live in Northumberland so we're quite near Kielder and been lucky enough to glimpse a hint of the northern lights from our back window but I had a, a slightly unusual question about dark skies and you know you're probably the person to ask <laughs> Zero punches pulled. Billy Bragg once sang, I saw two shooting stars last night. I wished on them, but they were only satellites. Is it wrong to wish on space hardware? And Phoebe Bridges on her last album, Punisher, last year, went one step further, singing, I took a tour to see the stars, but they weren't out tonight, so I wished hard upon a Chinese satellite. So I'm... Wondering, is this something that you would encourage or does the magic really only work with shooting stars? It's <laughs> a great question. Um, I mean, I guess the the idealist in me says, you know, the magic is only there if it is, you know, uh, an organic cosmic entity. But um, the truth is you're probably more likely to see a satellite. So, you know, if you just if you need a bit of wishing power, just go with what you can get, you know. That's what I would say. Good, good. That I'm, I'm relieved because we all need a little bit of magic at the moment when times are so tough. So yeah, you know, we've had it from an authority that that's fine. You can wish on space hardware. You came up to Kielder, didn't you, for, for the book? Do you know what? It wasn't actually for my book. I came up because I was a writer in residence for the Forestry England. And as part of that project, I came up. Um, and sadly, it was actually after the book thing. So I couldn't include it in the book, which was really sad. But um, I had a great experience. Anyway, I've never, I'm, as you can tell from my accent, I am very Southern. And I am ashamedly completely rubbish with, I just hardly travelled around the North at all. So I was so excited to go and visit, you know, 
places where they sound very cool like you um <laughs> and i absolutely loved it i had such a great time and yeah i went to the kilda observatory and that was amazing i saw these things called noctilucent clouds which are these amazing like god don't ask me to explain the science but they were kind of like glowing clouds in the sky it was amazing yeah and i had a great time absolutely loved it so i'm very excited to return north again when we can travel out of our county <laughs> yeah, that would be nice wouldn't it i've been booked on a session at the kilda observatory a couple of times and both times it's been horrendous weather and they've they've cancelled it which is a real shame so i'll have to book in again i think sometime yeah i really recommend it I mean, it was it was wicked, and the, the team there were really knowledgeable. Yeah, I bought a mug and everything. It was a great trip. <laughs> yeah, love a gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> and you've also written about foraging, haven't you? And you've got a new book out on foraging this year, Concise Guide, which will no doubt help us all avoiding kidney failure from picking the wrong things. But <laughs> have you ever accidentally served up the the wrong mushrooms at a Sunday dinner and had Auntie Mabel tripping her nut off? Um, I haven't, sadly. No, I haven't. Uh, I'm, do you know what? Mushrooms, although I am knowledgeable of them, I'm much more of a plant person. So luckily, no, I have not done that. But I did once serve up me and my husband some, I was <laughs> trying to make a green leaf sauce thing with some like sorrel and some very edible things. And I accidentally got a Lords and Ladies leaf in there. And it did not make us feel very well. So I have made a mistake before, but um, please buy my book. I promise I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> What's a Lords and Ladies leaf? So Lords and Ladies is just a little green, uh, it's a green plant. Uh, the, the leaves look like big triangles. Uh, it's very common. And I think, it, I, I swear it just got mixed up in there. I, I promise I didn't misidentify it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. Perilous <laughs> though. Yeah, I mean, uh, mushrooms, you know, a lot of people go crazy for wild mushrooms. And I would love to be able to do that. But I'm just so scared because there's very subtle differences between some of them, I think. And some of them can kill you. Yeah, it's really subtle. And, you know, a lot of it's like looking at the gills and it's mm. really tiny details. So, yeah, like I said, you know, I know enough to write a book about it, but actually I am much more confident with plants. I, I'm definitely more of a plant lady. <laughs> I'm more of a kind of berries that you can stick into booze kind of forager. Oh, yeah, that is the best. I mean, you know, I basically just do it for the booze. That's, that's <laughs> <a great> hobby. <laughs> right then, let's get down to business. So... You've chosen your five favourite birds, or almost your five until I politely asked you to ditch the swift. Um, <laughs> the five birds that you would share the desolate, bio-barren land with after the environmental apocalypse that we all fear may be looming. So, tell us about bird number one. Bird number one. one, one, one. So, the first one um, is the great tit, um, which the great tit is my favorite sound in the whole world and um, literally of all everything in the whole world the great tit in in early spring that first kind of few days after really miserable winter and you hear that kind of seesaw sing song of the great tit um i literally cannot express how happy it makes me feel it i it takes me right back to childhood to kind of being in the woods i've kind of grown up around the south down so I, I live where i've always lived pretty much except for uni and it really does just fill me with like this this childhood kind of and I feel like it's quite primitive as well that 
that noise of spring, I feel like that's a really animal thing. You know, we all kind of get through winter as best we can. Um, but actually, when spring comes around, there's just nothing like, you know, feeling the sun on your skin and, and listening to these birds and, and all these little signs we see. And it's amazing how much they lift you up. And the Great Tit song is just, yeah, my absolute favourite sound in the whole world. <laughs> Fantastic. And yeah, you're right. I think that it's interesting talking to different people on this podcast, that different people identify different birds, but for the same reason, but they identify different birds as the thing that is bringing spring to them or the thing that they associate with the end of winter and the start of spring we all have you know those different birds you know whether it's the swift spring in the summer or, or whatever and I think that's you know that's something that's really coming out quite strongly the change in seasons is really important to people yeah definitely I mean yeah I mean I, I did originally want to include the swift as you said but you know the swift is another one you, you know I remember last, I think it was last year the first swift I heard was sitting in the garden and it was, you know, whatever date it was. And I was like, oh, my God, it's just the best sound ever. And, yeah, I feel like the great tip is actually, it's even better for me because it is, you know, going from winter to spring is a is a real, you're just waiting for that spring spring to come through. And it's just such a lift. Like, today I've just been for a dog walk and it was so sunny. And I was like, oh, it's just, ah, oh, this is what life's about, you know. And everything's not grey forever. It is, it is alive and out there. <laughs> does feel like that the last few days where I mean this will go out in a few weeks time but we're recording this on the 18th of February and just the last few days really the, the snows finally melted a couple of days ago up here and you know you can really see it, all the activity going on and spring's there it's just almost there it's brilliant <laughs> it's unusual that you say that the great tit song is the is your favorite sound in the world because a lot of people would say it's a fairly basic song you mm. know in terms of the call that the teacher, teacher that, that people will be familiar with, they can do all sorts of different sounds which often confuse people. But their actual sort of call or, or the, the thing that we would be most familiar with is, is pretty basic, isn't it, really? It is, you know, and, and like you're saying with other birds this time, you're like listening to the song thrush. I've been listening to that last week. And, you know, that's that's this amazing array of, of different of different noises. And, yeah, you're right, actually. The, the great t- it's it's nothing, you know, like spellbinding in, in that it's nothing crazy and complex. But I think it is just the association of and it's it, I don't know, I just it's so loud. I just love it. I, and you just hear it through the trees. And it's just like, oh, it's just absolute heaven i love it and yeah it's weird though isn't it because you're right it's a very basic sound actually but um but no it's evocative and obviously means means that to you and and you know i'm doing them down a little bit there but actually each male will apparently have a handful of different songs that it'll do you know it'll have four five different sort of songs in its repertoire and all the great tits have different versions and they can do it at different tempos so each great tit on a territory can change its four or five different phrases up and down in tempo and they do it to try and sound like there's more birds than there are to confuse other great tits into thinking oh hang on there's loads of other great tits over there so i'll better move on so Wow, it's fascinating. I did not know that. That's so interesting. I love that. It's cool, <laughs> isn't it? It's almost like they're um, they're like Kevin in Home Alone. You know, when he tries <laughs> to pretend he's having a party in the house and there's loads yeah. of people in there to scare off the burglars. It's like great tits are doing that. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that. That's Yeah, I love that. Great little birds. And they're just so lovely to watch. I just, you know, they've got so much character. I just love them. Yeah. The other thing I read about this week was that some of the lower ranking great tits have to feed themselves up to make sure that they're they're properly fat because then when the food gets short they get a little bit elbowed out the way of the 
you know, by the more dominant great tits. So these little fat gray, these little sort of heavier great tits can't get to the, to the good food sources in harder times. And they're more likely to get picked off by sparrowhawks because they're heavier. Oh, there we go. There we go. A nice tasty morsel. <laughs> little chunky fat great tit. Um, yeah. yeah. Too lardy. So there you go. A couple <laughs> of great tit facts there that I didn't know until I read about them whilst preparing for this. So great tit. Um, <laughs> let's move on and I'm deliberately staying away I hope you'll be pleased I've deliberately stayed away from any rude jokes because that would have been way too obvious and um, no that, that that's not me at all <laughs> so let's move on to bird number two bird number two, 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 two. so my bird number two um, opposite end of the seasonal spectrum uh, is the red wing so the red wing again for me. I I'm I'm actually although I love spring and I and I love spring and summer. I am actually a, an autumn person. I autumn's my favourite season of the year. Um, in fact, my daughter's middle name is Autumn, and I I love I just I mean I just love everything about it. I just love you know the shift in season, the coziness, the like you know longer nights. I just I absolutely love all that kind of vibe. Um, and you know the red wing is just this symbol of of hunkering down hibernation I love what I love I kind of try and live my life as seasonally as I can so I do try and kind of embrace autumn and winter with this kind of idea of resting and reflecting and trying to hunkering down into the earth and that sort of thing I find that really a really useful way to see things if I can and I find yeah the red wings you know we kind of associate autumn with everything dying back and and you know nothing grows anymore and that sort of thing but the red wing, because they arrive with the field fairs and everything, they, they're this new arrival and they're the, they are this little flutter of new life. And I think, you know, they're so beautiful with that beautiful orange kind of smudge under their wing. And they, the, the, poet, the poet in me just thinks of them as kind of like embers in the, in the, the grate of winter, you know, everything's kind of very grey and dying back. And there's these lovely little burning birds that you just see hopping about. Um, so yeah, I absolutely love them. And I'm really happy because where I live at the moment um, in our garden, we, we get quite a lot and we've got this massive holly bush um, kind of bordering our garden with the neighbours. And this year I've just had so many of them in there. And every time I look out the window, there's like, oh, another red wing. I've, you know, I've been out there with my camera all the time. And I just, yeah, they just really lift my spirit. And I think they just, they kind of carry us through to the warmer weather. And then we say farewell and look forward to seeing them again the next year. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I love red wings. I hadn't really realised, but I think, I suspect they are one of my favourite birds, actually. Very much so for the reasons that you've just said. And I wrote about red wings in Red 67, the book about the 67 red listed birds in the UK, of which red wing is one, because there is a tiny little breeding population, like literally a handful of pairs in the highlands somewhere every year, but very, very few. Like you say, most of them come from Scandinavia and the north, and it's almost like these wild northern birds from the wild north bringing the, the winter and stuff. And yeah, there's something really evocative about them. And the the fact that they often, you know, arrive at night or might move around at night and you hear that very thin sort of ethereal glistening call in night overhead as you stagger back from the pub or when pubs used to be open. <laughs> but yeah, no, fantastic birds. Yeah, I love that that night call. It's just amazing. Again, because, you know, the, night, the nights get longer. So you've kind of got to find, that's why I love, you know, stargazing and stuff, because it means in the darker half of the year, you've got something to something else to look outside for you know like I love looking at the moon and the stars and and it is it's so lovely on a 
on a calm autumn night or winter night and you go outside and you can hear that seep, seep, seep. Um, I just absolutely love, yeah, it's, it's amazing to listen to them. And it's one of these things that I only, I only kind of found out about Red Wings, like maybe like four or five years ago. And so it's one of these things where it's like, God, I must have heard these a million times, you know, being out at night, but never really, they're so subtle and I've never noticed it or wondered what it was. And then all of a sudden you're like, God, how did I not notice this little noise every winter going over my head? You know, yeah, I just, I find them really lovely. And actually when I went to, I went to Finland um, writing Dark Skies because I wanted to go and see the Midnight Sun. And when I was in this forest in Finland, I actually saw field fairs and red wings. But like, I always, I thought of it as like on their summer, summer holiday, because <laughs> it was, it was the midnight sun. And I was like, oh my God, this is what they do in the summer. They look so happy. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, although they obviously very happy to come over here, when you do see them, they do still look a little bit cold and grisly and it's winter. And over when I was in Finland and I watched them, they were just dancing around, having a great time. You know, it was, it was lovely to see actually. And um, yeah, in the, in the sunlight, it was lovely. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I've never seen them in that setting. I just always imagine them, you know, when you've got your hat and your scarf on and, and stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. And then, you know, you can see your breath and you're looking at Red Wings. The the story that I wrote about in, in Red 67, of which you did a beautiful illustration of a black red start. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, there was a cold snap a few years ago up here and we, we, we had like loads of snow, like really thick snow. And it was one day I was having to I couldn't even take the car out. I was having to go to work on the train, wading down the street in my wellies and saw two red wings just battling on the in the snow, like scrapping, like killing each other. <laughs> and uh, as I approached, they just did not care that I was there at all. And I thought, well, they're just wasting so much energy here fighting when really they're not going to survive if they don't pack that in. So, <laughs> yeah, I just reached down and picked them up and it was just amazing because I just had a red wing in each hand and, you know, for a few seconds, they just didn't move. They were just like catching their breath and I could almost see their breath in my hand, you know, like these two little, little migrant birds that had just come over here and then gone, oh man, this sucks. There's nothing to eat. <laughs> um, I'm going to fight him and uh, over that little morsel. But yeah, a couple of red wings in my hands. It was brilliant. And then... Oh, that's amazing. And that kind of just makes me think you should be a politician or something because, you know, guys, you're waiting. <laughs> My energy fighting, just chill out because we need someone like that to uh, yes. sort the world out. <laughs> pack, pack it in, use lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great birds. I, lo I love thrushes, and they're, they're, they are a, a stunning little thrush. And then, like you say, you know, until you maybe make a point of looking at them, you might just think, oh, it's a thrush, you know, just another bird in the blackbird, whatever. But then when you probably stop and look and see the, the eye stripe and the red flash and their armpits, great. Yeah, it's interesting you say that actually because my brother-in-law, I was around the other day and he said, um, "Oh, I saw a bird in the garden. It, I think it was a, I think it was a female blackbird, but it wasn't. It was. It, it might have been a thrush. I don't know what it was." And I, I was like, "Oh, was this it?" And I showed him a picture of Reb, and he said, "That was the one." <laughs> and it was one of those things where you think, "Hmm, I kind of recognise you, but what are you?" <laughs> <laughs> So you're obviously the person in your family that people go to with bird questions. I think uh, most people yeah. who, who who like birds are that person, aren't they? You know, and they yeah. get sent things on WhatsApp going, tell me what this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's great. Right then, we'll move on. This next one is a, a corker. Tell us about bird number three. Bird number three. Three, three. <laughs> So my next bird is the raven, which is absolutely one of my favourite birds of all time. 
I'm, I've always been a bit of a rubbish birder. I've always just enjoyed watching birds and been very bad at identifying. So for most of my life, I've never known the difference between a, a crow and a raven and all that. I do now, don't worry. But um, yeah, basically, I so I live in the South Downs and close to where I live is a memorial stone that was erected in memory of Edward Thomas, the poet. So it's called the Poet Stone. And it's on this beautiful hill at the top of what's called Ashford Hangers, which is a nature reserve. And if you can be bothered because it's a really steep climb and you walk all the way to the top where this poet stone is you can look out across the downs and it's just the most amazing view it's just absolutely stunning and that's why the stone was put there because Edward Thomas loved walking up there and looking at this view and I swear to god every time I walk up there I hear a raven every single time and it's just the most wonderful sound because it's so quiet up there there are a few other birds but it's it's, I think because it's so high up, it just feels always very still and, and beautiful. And every time I just wait there long enough and I hear this cronking and it just kind of, you know, drifts over over the sky and, and then, yeah, and you see this raven and it, you just think, wow, that is just the most, I can't, I can't describe what I love about them so much. And I'm sure people understand me when I say that because, you know, I love all birds, but you look at a crow and you're like, well, you're cool, but you know, what else is there? Um, but a raven, there's just, they're just, I don't know if it's just because they're so big they they do look quite menacing but you know you know they're not menacing they're just they're just living their lives um and they're so clever and just those massive beaks and I just I just love them I I just love them so much I find them so mesmerizing and I just love listening to that cronking it just echoes so far and I just if I ever hear it I have to stop and just look around and say where is that raven I have to I have to catch a glimpse of him um yeah so I just absolutely love them <laughs> no they are they're, they're fantastic part of the point of this podcast is that all birds are brilliant we all know that but just some are more brilliant than others and I'm starting to realize people love ravens you know Johnny Rankin one of my friends off, off Twitter He's got them, you know, he's, he's got a, a, a raven on each peck and people just love them. And the reason they love them is very varied, but generally it's because of the, the mythology and the blackness and the intelligence and the fact that actually, despite all of the associations with them through history of being, you know, sort of associated with death and stuff like that, but they're actually very playful birds, you know, they they can fly upside down, they can barrel roll, they can sledge on each other's backs in the snow for kicks. And, you know, I think people people genuinely are obsessed with ravens. And I hadn't realised that until relatively recently. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And it is, I think that kind of mythological, historical side, I think is really powerful as well. Um, I think I read a book, no, I listened to a talk, actually, another author called Joe Shute who wrote a book called, I think it's called A Shadow Above, and that was all about ravens and the history of ravens. And his talk, I was just like, this is so interesting. Um, but, you know, just our historical relationship with ravens, it's so interesting. The, you know, there's just some animals and birds that for some reason through human history just really developed this, this real significance with. And, yeah, ravens, they're just, I, I don't know what it is about them, but they're just so they've just really caught our imagination for thousands of years, you know, and, you know, you get like the Ravens at the Tower of London and all that sort of thing. It's like, wow, why, why, you know, what, what, what made us kind of, you know, go down those relationship paths. And I, yeah, I just think they're, um, they're just really, I think magical is probably the word to use actually. They're just, they're really, yeah, they're, they are a bit ominous. I think maybe that's part of the thrill as well. They are a little bit, you know, Ooh, you're a bit, a little bit like murderous and a bit funky looking, but actually, 
yeah, you're right. Once you know, they're just, you know, they're actually just they're playful and they're just really cool birds. And yeah, I just, I'm really lucky. I feel really lucky that I live in a place where I can see them all the time because, you know, I think they were, they were one of, again, one of many species that's been persecuted in the past and pushed right to the brink. And I think where I live, I'm kind of on this, I remember hearing that they, they kind of flourished again in the Southwest or they were kind of, that's where they had a, they managed to cling on and then as the pressure's been lifted off them, they've been moving eastward along the south coast again. And I live in the southeast, and I'm just like, oh, great! I get to, I get to, you know, see ravens again. It's so wonderful. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, living in Northumberland, I can, I can see them occasionally when I'm, when I'm allowed out of my garden and, yeah. and my local patch. But yeah, they're great, and I think the mythology and you know, Odin never had a pair of wood pigeons, did he? You know. <laughs> no. No, no, you know, it's not the Tower of London chaffinches, you know, they've picked ravens for some some reason and it's because they're big and imposing and impressive birds and, and they're intelligent. And yeah, the other thing is, you know, somebody was saying to me on Twitter, ravens are brilliant because they can speak. And I'm like, well, all birds can speak, but they just don't speak human, you know. Yeah, very true. <laughs> peregrine can talk, but it just speaks peregrine. It's too cool to to bother with your pesky human language, you know, your, your pathetic <laughs> yeah. human language. Um, but yeah, they are great. I think it's it's harsh that they get called, you know, the, the collective noun is an unkindness of ravens. That's pretty unfair, I think. It's very unfair. And, you know, same with the murder of crows. I'm just like, well, I, I, I'm fascinated to know linguistically where that came from, you know, who kind of, how that developed. Mm. Um, I guess maybe it's just because they're a little bit ominous looking and black. But I mean, you know, that's that's really all it comes from, really, isn't it? Maybe because they scavenge off things and, you know, they're often seen picking things apart. But loads of stuff does that. I think it's very unfair. Very yeah. unfair. When you come up with a new collective noun. It's really, <laughs> it, it's rubbish doing the raven down like that. Another thing I heard literally today, and, and we'll talk about how this came about <laughs> later on, possibly. But... I just discovered that ravens have been shown, because obviously very intelligent birds, but what they've learnt in some areas in Europe is that they will call and attract wolves, like deliberately go and get wolves to bring them to deer or prey species, and they will draw them and, and bring them in, tell them where the food is, and then the wolves will have their fill and leave enough for the ravens. God, that's amazing. They are so clever. Oh, I love stuff like that. That's just, yeah, amazing. Good on them. That was told, <laughs> told to me on Twitter today by uh, Michael from Newcastle. So, uh, yeah, great fact. That is amazing. I love that. That's great. On that note, let's move on to bird number four. Bird number four. So bird number four is the yellowhammer. A very special bird to me, actually. Just, yeah, just... For reasons I so I used to work I literally write about this all the time so some I'm sure people know I used to work on an educational farm called Butzer Ancient Farm um really really beautiful place in Hampshire if you've been in fact I say I write about it all the time uh I had a mean review on Amazon the other day and they were like she keeps talking about this stupid farm oh. <laughs> leave me alone I love the farm um but anyway it's this lovely place and when I used to work there before I went freelance I used to open up in the mornings so I got there you know fairly early and all along the, the edge of the farm it's in the Hampshire countryside and there's these beautiful hedgerows all around the farm really the farmers nearby really kept them very healthy 
and every morning in the summer especially in spring and summer there's just be this beautiful yellow hammer singing in the hedgerow and I just I mean you know if anyone's heard a yellow hammer it's just the most distinctive call it's a little bit of bread and no cheese um and it's just this really really gorgeous sound and you know because I was there quite a lot I managed to eventually manage to spot one because they're really quite difficult you can you can hear them for miles but actually trying to locate where it's hiding is quite difficult but they just really remind me of just I loved that job and I you know I'm still very associated with it but I just loved you know going down there on a summer morning and feeling the you know the, the warmth of the sun coming in and this beautiful tranquil place in the middle of the South Downs with like round houses and wood fire and all this sort of stuff and these beautiful little golden birds in the hedgerow and they'd just be welcoming me there every morning you know like come on come and have your morning coffee have a good day um yeah and they just they just every time I hear one it just makes me feel really calm and happy and yeah they're lovely yeah they are the great birds and again another one in decline unfortunately because of losing hedgerows and the suitable habitat and various other reasons and yeah that I've always wondered, and I've I've had a few jokes over the years about that call, the little bit of bread and no cheese thing, because, you know, why bread and cheese? You know, what's that got to do with yellow hammers? And, and I think I think it was perpetuated by Enid Blyton, the controversial Enid Blyton, you know, oh. yeah, in, in one of her stories, apparently. But I think they've been well storied anyway, like, like a lot of birds, like the raven, obviously, but... Beethoven's are written different phrases in his music to replicate the sort of song of the yellow hammer. Yeah, but but it is a very basic sort of repetitive line that they do, isn't it? And I, I always think it, it would be more appropriate to be, I'm going to sing the same song all day, rather than a <laughs> little bit of bread and no cheese. Because um, they do just do that thing, but stunning looking birds as well. You know, the bright yellow chests and head and yeah, lo- lovely little birds. Yeah, they're really when I was a kid, I always wanted to see them because they were they were quite striking in the bird book, you know, bright yellow and stuff like that. And the name Yellow Hammer, I loved that. I kind of assumed there was some association with Thor or something like that, but it's not. It's just because Ammer means bunting in German or something like that. Oh, you know? is that what it is? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Bit disappointing, though. You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> ultimately, when I was thinking Thor, I guess... Going back to the raven, I suppose, but yeah, you know, a yeah, little, that's a little quite bit underwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> underwhelming, but great birds. But here's a good thing that's not underwhelming though about the yellow hammer. So you might have seen yellow hammer's eggs or, or pictures of yellow hammer's eggs. They've got a very sort of scribbly markings on them. You know, not just like dots or spots. They've got like little fine lines haphazardly around the eggs. Beautiful, beautiful little things. And the one old name for them was scribble lark because of these marks on their eggs. But one old legend said that the tongues of yellow hammers had a drop of the devil's blood in them and the the markings on the eggs were meant to hide a hidden satanic message from the devil himself. Yeah, how cool is that? And what, what, if you could decipher it, what... You, you got like... a message from Satan. Oh, oh my God, amazing. I would love a message from Satan. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I love that. Wouldn't we all? <laughs> that's great i love that kind of stuff is amazing (laughs) amazing like playing a black sabbath album backwards or something you know you can just look at eggs of yellow hammers and you know (laughs) they're such you know dinky innocent looking little birds it's like when people kind of decide that these birds are you know associated with the devil (laughs) 
I love it. That's great. I never dreamt that this was the case, that the, the Yellowhammers were linked to Beelzebub. You know, especially when they're just singing about bread and cheese and... They say the devil's got all the best tunes, so, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not having it. Great. Well, let's move on to bird number five. So bird number five is the lovely barn owl. I love barn owls. And the reason I picked this, I mean, you know, I think I've yet to meet someone who doesn't love a barn owl. They're just, they're just gorgeous, aren't they? People used to think they were witches and souls of dead people and all sort of thing. Because, you know, when you see one drifting through the darkness, it, it does look quite, you know, spooky and amazing. And I've, I've always managed to see them a few times and that sort of thing. But actually, the reason I picked it for this is more of a recent memory. Um, and I had my, I, I had a lockdown baby. I had my baby daughter. Um, she was born last July. And one night, you know, obviously I'm now basically have no sleep rhythm at all. So one night it was about 3am and I was just up feeding her in, in the living room. And I, I suddenly heard this amazing noise and I was like, it was, you know, a screeching noise. And I was like, oh, what's that noise? That sounds, that sounds like a barn owl. So um, we kind of went out together, me and Olive, and um, kind of went out the front door. And I looked around and I, I heard the noise again. And this beautiful barn owl was just sat on our neighbor's roof next to our house and I was like wow what, a, what an amazing moment again another kind of you know reason why I love the night I find the darkness and solitude of, of nighttime so beautiful and cathartic but um you know I looked out and I saw this this beautiful barn owl sitting on the roof and I thought oh this is Olive's first barn owl that's nice and she was just about awake um <laughs> and we watched this barn owl for a little while and it screeched a couple more times and then it flew off into the darkness and and it was gone but it was just a really magical you know, enchanting moment, especially in the first few weeks and months after having a baby, you're kind of a bit of a mess and, you know, everything is a little bit trippy and all this sort of thing. And and just standing there and having that moment of calm with her and just having this experience and connection with this beautiful owl. It was it was really magical, actually. And yeah, I, I think I'll remember it forever. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And and they are it's so otherworldly is a word I've used quite a lot in these podcasts for certain species but totally applies to the barn owl you know that sort of just white spookiness but a sort of calmness and until they drop down and kill stuff obviously you know when they're just sort of gliding around on the edges of fields and and stuff like that they they do they're, they're quite calm and peaceful birds but yeah they've had a checkered history as well obviously like you say because they were associated with all sorts of weird beliefs in the past and I touched on this with Lev Perikian in, in an earlier episode, he he chose Barn Owl again, similar reasons. And we talked about, you know, the fact that they were persecuted until, you know, not that long ago, really, because of crazy beliefs. One of their old names, though, I'm not sure if we mentioned this with Lev last time, but um, <laughs> they've got some unusual old vernacular names. Ginny Ollett, Willie Wicks, and just simply Billy, which I thought was <laughs> quite funny. Hey, bit, yeah. <laughs> Billy, oh, there's a Billy. A bit like Mavis for song thrush, you know, one of these, one of these strange ones. Um, no, they're great birds, and also probably the bird I would say most has a face. You know, yeah. like owls generally have faces because their eyes are on the front rather than one, you know, looking like birds. But barn owls have a really, you know, that sort of white, sort of almost human esque weirdness to them. They're, they're, they're very odd looking, and I think it. For me, it's partly because they look a little bit like a, a human face. <laughs> quite... Yeah, no, I, I can totally understand that. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean by that. Yeah, and that kind of heart shape. Yeah, it's it's definitely, 
yeah, you can kind of look at a, a barn owl and feel like, ooh, could we have a chat? You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're great, and you know I'm I'm always really jealous of photographers who get these amazing photos of barn owls. I'm I'm a hopeless oh. photographer, but so am I. I. I especially any kind of like night photography. I'm I'm not going to lie. I have my I have my camera on automatic mode most of the time. Um, but yeah, these amazing photos, and I love the ones where they get like moonlight bouncing off them and stuff. I just like, oh, how do you do that? How long did you have to sit there to get that beautiful photo? Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, they've <laughs> got an amazing sunset just going on in the background in the field, and yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's impressive. So. You've mentioned your five favourite birds there and why they're special to you. But as you know, the very sort of derivative concept of this podcast is that you must choose one and only one that has to go into some ridiculous speak-off against my peregrine falcon to see who is the best bird of all. And people who might have listened to previous episodes, they will have heard that my peregrine got a pretty rough ride because... It turns out that everybody has a very good reason for why their bird is their favourite bird. And, you know, it came down to me saying that the peregrine was better and I just couldn't do it. So throughout the first series, peregrine generally lost. This series, I've decided to do it slightly differently. And each week, there's going to be a different way of deciding which is the best bird. So this week, I decided to put it to Twitter. And I created a Twitter poll saying... Which bird is the best out of these two? And you're now going to reveal which bird is your absolute favouritest of all and which one I put on Twitter to go up against my peregrine. Yeah, I chose the Mighty Raven as my tribute. And as my tribute, <laughs> very Hunger Games there. So yeah, and, and I thought that this would be a walk in the park for the peregrine. I genuinely thought, well, I know people love Covids and people really love ravens, but actually I've got this. This is going to be all right. So I put it on Twitter last night and for the first few hours, Raven was streaking ahead and I thought, I can't believe it. This This is... This is not going the way I'd hoped at all. I went to bed and I woke up. Oh, hello, Olive. She's woken up there. (laughs) (laughs) And Raven was still ahead, but not by much. And I watched it go up until it just ended a couple of hours ago, specifically timed before this recording. So, as you can imagine, a very heated debate ensued in the comments on this tweet Raven fans came out in force, quoting intelligence and the ability to talk like a human and the fact that peregrines really just sit around most of the day defecating from ledges. One person even said that ravens were the best because the Stranglers had never written a song called Peregrine. And others talked about the peregrine's aerial mastery and power. And Chris Griffin said, I love a raven, but a peregrine's a peregrine. No comparison. So, yeah, I just left it to Twitter to decide, and we got 1,315 votes. Wow. And unbelievably, it was a 50-50 split. No, really? With 15 minutes to go, Peregrine was 51%, and Raven was 49%. And then the last few minutes, a few people came on and went, come on, Team Raven, (laughs) and got it up to 50-50. So... This week's winner of Golden Grenade's Best Bird Battle Off 
is the Raven and the Peregrine. We're both winners. Yay! Diplomatic, I love it. That's great. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can't believe it. Oh, I love it. That's great. Lovely. <laughs> Thirteen hundred votes, and it was a, a dead heat. That is crazy. God, people are. Yeah, that, I mean, I love that. That's people are really passionate about their ravens and their peregrines. That's great. One point I would make is though that in Marvel comics, Falcon was way cooler than Raven, but that's <laughs> a bit off piste. Right. Well, listen. Thanks so much for coming on, and good luck with all of your book launches this year. So you've got three out, haven't you? Do you know yet exactly when they're going to be available? Um, I know the months. I can't remember the exact dates. But um, yes, so I've got um, there are three little guidebooks. So I've got one on the history of beekeeping, which is out in April uh, with Shire. And then I've got um, yeah my concise foraging guide, which is with Bloomsbury, and that's in May. And then I'm also, um, I've written a kind of travel guide to the UK's dark sky reserves, which is out in September with Brat. So um, yeah, I'm really excited for those. It's um, yeah, lovely to have some little books out and yeah so uh the dark skies one i think will be quite quite cool if you are into stargazing that sort of thing it's basically just covering all the uk dark sky sites and all the best sort of spots to go if you want to look at stuff so look out for that one <laughs> fantastic despite having a baby in july it looks like you've been busy in lockdown brilliant so yeah good good luck with all of those thanks again thanks for inviting me on well that's your lot for this week folks Thanks for listening and do join me again next week when my special guest will be the nature writer Dominic Cousins. Until then, ta for now.